Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to episode number 158 of the mm-hmm. podcast, God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by Seekers and for Seekers, and uh, let's just jump right in with our shout-outs. Yeah, our shout-outs today are going to be to Andy, Jeff, and Sukman. We're glad to have you guys listening. Welcome aboard, and how about a quote, Tab? I was just thinking, I think I did a Wayne Dyer quote last, quote last time, yeah. but I have him again That's last all right. week. It says, see the beauty in everything. As you awaken to your divine nature, you'll begin to appreciate beauty in everything you see, touch, and experience. That's a good one. And apologize for that little pause there if you happen to hear that in there, but... uh, I was getting a phone call. I didn't want it to be a ringing on the. <laughs> didn't want it to be ringing on the, the podcast. Uh, we're going to do things a little different today. I'm just going to do a little reading uh, of an incident that. Uh, well, just kind of some thoughts that I had on a little incident that happened, and then uh, then uh, kind of leaving Tabitha and tracing out on this one. But anyway, it goes like this. I titled this for the birds. Be still and know that I am God. Go stand before me on the mountain, the Lord said. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face with his cloak And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. If you'll indulge me, I want to take you back to about just a little over a year ago and uh, share with you an experience that I had. The time is February of 2021. Now, here in the Ozarks, we were experiencing the coldest and snowiest Mm -hmm. February we've had in decades. Uh, I generally hang a couple of bird feeders on the front porch and keep them regularly filled. But this year, in anticipation of the frigid cold and uh, with plans to use the indoor time for reflection, for meditation and writing, I decided to feed the birds on the ground outside my studio window where I could observe them from the window directly across my desk. All I had to do is lift my eyes and observe nature at its best or at its worst, depending on each person's perspective relative to the winter storm. As the temps declined and the snow fell, I became more dedicated to seeing that the little creatures had food available. I regularly cleared the snow from the covered landing outside the door and 
placed an abundance of different seeds and grains for the birds to enjoy. I even put out whole kernel, uh, corn kernels for the larger foragers, such as the crows, the blue jays, squirrels, deer, rabbits, raccoons, and all the other hungry creatures that came at night and cleaned up the remaining corn and seeds. I went so far as to purchase a salt mineral block for the animals that might find it hard to access those necessary nutrients from the ground, as they normally did, the ground being covered with snow. As the temps continued to fall and the ground covered with more than a foot of snow, I observed the little juncos, we know them as snowbirds here, and other even tinier creatures flying in with ice and snow frozen to their backs. Some would appear and sit on the landing shivering, too cold to even eat in some cases. I put my boots and heavy winter clothes on and went outside in search of a way that I might provide some shelter for the half-frozen birds. I had read where that when a bird begins to shiver, it means that its tiny body temperature has fallen and hypothermia has set in. In some cases, the shiver is the last attempt for their body to raise its core temperature before death. I found an old large plastic planter I had dumped in the fall and I'd left beside the house. I dusted the snow off it and I placed it on its side on the landing. I shoveled snow over it to insulate it, leaving the front exposed so that it might resemble some natural shelter. I then ran an extension cord under the door and placed a metal clamp-on light fixture with an old incandescent floodlight bulb, which produces quite a bit of heat. I even placed some bird seed in the makeshift shelter near the lamp. I returned to my desk and observed, thinking I'd done my best, and the rest would be up to the birds to discover the relief for themselves. It wasn't long before my efforts had their desired effect. At first, the birds were very cautious and suspicious of this refuge I'd concocted. I think their instinct told them it was a trap, but eventually, the warmth of the electric floodlight was just too inviting. They began to go inside the container and warm themselves in front of the bulb. I could see the steam rise from their little backs as the ice and snow melted from them. One of the little birds that was near death from the cold spent almost the first entire day basking in the warmth of the mysterious but life-giving shelter. Some birds, however, would get close enough to the entrance to feel the warmth of the bright light, but would not dare to venture into the man-made warming shelter. I still scattered seeds on the landing for those too cautious to enter the comfort of the heated shelter. It was at this point that that small, still voice began to speak to me from within. I began to make the connection between my relationship with these tiny creatures and our human relationship with the divine. I was to those birds what God is to me, came the utterance. In a flow of spiritual enlightenment, I contemplated how each morning before daylight I'd go out and throw, out the seed, throw the seed out on the landing in preparation for their arrival at daybreak. Usually at some point in the day, I'd go out and put out more seed as the supply dwindled. The little birds would fly away when I opened the door, but I began to notice that they only flew to the nearest tree or other vantage points, and that they were observing me as I put out the seed. In fact, as they became more and more used to me, they'd begin to return almost before I was back inside and closed the door. I followed the Old Testament account of the manna from heaven. The Hebrew refugees never really understood how the manna would appear fresh every morning, but they didn't have to understand it. They only had to show up and accept the gift. I began to wonder if the birds actually communicated or had any level of self-awareness, and if they did, was this a miracle from the gods that they were experiencing? From their perspective, weren't their needs being supernaturally met in perfect timing with their need? I even thought, did they see this door to my, to my studios, the portal of the gods, the gods that dwell in this mysterious place where the bounty seems limitless and and myself, the mysterious creature within, neither toils nor has to seek shelter out in the wild. Occasionally, one of the little birds would land on the windowsill and seemed to peer in at me as I sat at my desk. After a few days, I noticed that what seemed to be the same birds always came and occupied the comfort of the shelter and warmth of the light. 
Might these be considered to be the faithful ones, said the small voice within, the trusting ones, those who were willing to receive without understanding how it all works in their favor, were these the enlightened ones? While the other birds would fly away in a roar of wings as I, as I would stand up and lean to look out the window, some of these in the shelter would see me, but they didn't fly. Even though I held the power of life and death over these creatures, I had no desire for them to fear me. Their fear of me could not serve our relationship. It would only prevent them from trusting my intention. The rest only flew if I actually opened the door. To them, I was a mysterious creature that had a unique power providing for them. What they were experiencing was nothing short of a miracle, at least from their perspective. I had no desire to harm them ever. I just wanted to make their life a little easier using any means at my disposal, just like God does for me, said the voice from within. Even though I made a connection to them and felt as though I had a relationship with them, I couldn't tell if they felt any kind of connection to me. It didn't matter. Their devotion to me, or lack thereof, didn't affect my flow of blessing in the least. Again, I thought, this must be how it is with man and God. After a few days, the day came when our old calico cat, who loves the outside but hates the cold, decided she had been indoors as long as she could stand it. So as she sat and stared at the studio door and occasionally squeaked meow as she did when she wanted outside, I decided to uh, let her get a little taste of the frigid outside just so she'd remember it was still cold out. I opened the door, the birds all flew, and she leapt out onto the cleared concrete landing, walking around sniffing the scent left behind by the flurry of activity of feeding birds. I noticed that the birds had flown to their usual positions of vantage so they could clearly see their precious feeding place. If they could have conscious thought and had developed some sense of a spiritual or religious explanation for our relationship, what must the narrative be now? After all, out of the portal of the gods came the arch enemy of any bird. It was the cat. The one creature that every bird instinctively knew was a creature to be feared and avoided. And it came from the same place as all the benevolent acts of divine provision had come from. If the birds can reason and communicate, I thought, how has the narrative now changed to accommodate this new turn of events? How must this turn of events change their opinion of me? How could I love and provide for them and allow such a perceived enemy, enemy to not only exist, but to actually dwell in my presence? If I was so good, the birds might ask, why do I allow this perceived evil to exist? Of course, they couldn't know what I know, and that is that the cat was just being a cat. What seemed evil to them was merely perspective, but I could not communicate that to them on any level. There was another phenomenon I observed uh, concerning the changing behavior of the birds. In the height of the crisis, when the temps were at their lowest and the survival was most difficult, the birds seemed very tolerant of one another. They were not only tolerant among their own species, but seemed to be so with those outside their own species. It was as though they were all in this thing together. However, as the conditions improved, the temperature rose, and the height of the crisis had passed, uh, and they had become accustomed to the plentiful bounty, I began to notice that they became much less tolerant of the presence of other birds. At first, it appeared as though they were taking turns in the heated shelter. Juncos, cardinals, and finches would share the shelter. As things improved, although the abundance did not dwindle, they began to squabble and become territorial. Even those outside the shelter became territorial, squawking and chasing others from the spots they were feeding. I pondered, has what began as a life-saving blessing become a place of plenty to be fought over? Is there something to be learned about human behavior and our attitudes towards one another in times of lack and in times of plenty? What a change that caused the birds to become jealous and greedy. Is it possible that what is true of nature is true of human interaction and behavior? 
Are we humbled in times of need and sensitive to the needs of others who share our condition, only to become self-centered and greedy in times of plenty and abundance? I learned that many of the winter species of birds we have here in the south, such as the junco or snowbird, is actually a migratory bird. Their breeding ground is mainly in North America and Canada. I learned that once they find a suitable place to winter, they return to that place each year. I imagine that if they could communicate their experience among themselves and to the other birds, what would the narrative be? Would they explain their experience in supernatural terms? Would they create a religion to explain how their discovery works and determine that the benefits of my benevolence was only available to those who subscribed to their particular take based on their own unique perspective? What explanation might they concoct to explain the fact that their greatest friend and worst enemy dwelled in the same place? Then I thought, what is it in me that causes me to take such an interest in these tiny creatures? After all, I didn't create them. They could not communicate their gratitude, nor could they serve me in any way. Yet I was pleased as they came daily to receive my provision and blessing. I'd tell our old cat, Nala, to leave my birds alone. And did you hear yourself, the small voice within asked? You called them my birds, yet they themselves show no indication that they belong to me. They're free to pursue, to pursue life in whatever manner they choose. Then I think of my relationship with that old cat. She's not the least affectionate unless she wants something. My wife and I provide for her year-round. Her whole livelihood, her shelter, food, water, medicine, and even a clean litter box are all by our provision and effort. Her greatest concern is whether one of us is available to open the door when she wants in or out. The only display of affection we get from her is when she wants her daily dose of hairball treats that she so loves. As soon as I give them to her, she goes about her independent way, preferring we didn't interact with her until it suits her. The small voice within spoke again. Think of how often in life this reflects my relationship and interaction with the divine. Yet, like my relationship to that old cat, blessings are not withheld because of lack of devotion or gratitude. I'm thankful for the experience I'm sharing with you today. I shared this with a group of people about a week ago in a public speech, and, and I thought I would share it with our listeners. After more than half a century of searching for the divine to reveal himself in the windstorm, the earthquake, the fire, wars, social or political unrest, religion, and yes, even the Bible, I discovered that while I was diligently searching for the divine in some spectacular demonstration of undeniable supernatural external phenomenon, he was right where he had always been, quietly waiting for me to return to where I'd first discovered him as a child within my own heart. When we deliberately and devotedly remove all the external distractions from our so-called connected lives, when we learn to quiet the chatter of our anxious, anxious minds, there will be only what was always there, and that is silence. And it is in that silence that we will rediscover that small, still voice that has always been there. Be still and know that I am God. I was, humble. I was humbled when the small, still voice let me see myself as an expression of these tiny creatures, humble and willing to receive divine provision when life is challenging and difficult, and greedy and self-reliant in times of abundance. Be still and know that I am God. I was humbled when the small, still voice allowed me to observe myself as an expression of that old cat, always ready to exploit the hand that provides for me, even faking affection when I think it betters my chance of blessing. Be still and know that I am God. But the part of the experience that became life-changing was when the small, still voice allowed me to see myself as, as an expression of the divine. In an act of unconditional love, I was the provider for any who would avail themselves to receive of my blessing. 
I did not judge which were worthy and which were not. I did not withhold from those who did not trust my motives, neither did I desire to exploit their fear of me. I did not demand that their perception of me be accurate. I did not exclude those who became greedy in their abundance, as though they were executors of their own provision. Like the divine has always done for me, I got my pleasure from relieving suffering and providing beyond mere need, but providing in abundance. I was pleased when day after day my birds arrived and received at my hand. Be still and know that I am God. And with that said, until next time, as always, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on in and radiate out from each of you. And that's from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.